I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. Live to watch Harrison Ford try crashing a boat for once. to crash a boat i'm like i appreciate growth although in the timeline of this of of the when the movie came out and his real life i think what actually happened was huh i like crashing vehicles what's (laughs) bigger than a bow um i also think and we could just do this a lot during the episode peter that uh we should constantly say the name like we're singing lana del rey's first hit like you play your Patriot game. <laughs> <laughs> the movie does have sort of a sullen, somber quality, but not like a sullen, somber, uh, hot model quality. No, um, this, this movie is kind of like I liked this movie quite a bit, but uh, we'll talk about my memories. On it's for mostly in October. It's, mostly it's a not... bummer. This movie's a bummer. I expected yeah. like a nineties action or tense political thriller and it's just like do you want me to show my dying kid on tv <laughs> yeah it is uh one of the things i really liked about it and i've liked it since i was a kid is that it fe- it felt very apart from like the very hollywood climax uh, robert roger ebert called it like an indiana jones climax yeah i wanted to get through that like it, I, it feels i think roger ebert was forgetting how indiana jones <laughs> movies work like there's not too much a boat boat chase after your family's held at gunpoint in a basement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a little. They're a little bit more epic than that. But yeah, they I usually uh, have some sort of I don't know supernatural element. It's a, <laughs> it's a big. It's actually a huge part of the ending of most Indiana Jones movies. It tends to figure in heavily. But I, I uh, apart from that, one of the things I liked about it so much, uh, like growing up, was it felt a little realer to me. And obviously, there's yeah. stuff in here that that you know. Uh, when you invite the concept of realism in, people start to take it as a, they start to take you on a, a more realistic uh, level of scrutiny. And uh, so there's there's certain scenes in this movie where that clearly don't pan out that way. But like just the attempt to have like a somber take on like a, like a Lacar novel, but for like an American punch him up action movie. Like that was something I loved as a kid. It felt like a real yeah. spy movie as opposed to James Bond that I watched for like the thrilling, thrilling chases and the, you know, sexy liaisons and such. I mean, there's a lot of talk uh, and there there has been for, you know, decades now about like what happened to the adult thriller, the adult big budget uh, box office. And like, I don't know exactly what movie they're picturing, but just in, even if they don't know, it's Patriot Games. <laughs> that's that's what they're picturing. We'll talk about more, but where we left to watch for a movie podcast, we pick a theme, we do movies over the course of that month around that theme, and if we remember, we compare and contrast. I don't think we'll be much doing much contrasting this month, because what's our theme? It's Super Bowl February, the big game. So big we're game. doing 
big game movies featuring no actual games. We kicked off the month with the most dangerous game, which I think is our... I mean, we're talking about sports games. I think that's our, like, most gaming one. Uh, and then we're doing Patriot Games, which features no sports. And then the next two uh, is funny games. There's a golf club featured in the movie, but I don't think that counts as a sport, Peter. Um, <laughs> and then the game, which, of course, the big game. We should cover. We should have covered the fake book from the limo episode of Seinfeld, which I believe is also, it's called The Big Game. The big game. The big game. The big game. Yeah. Remember what you said, the big game. The, this... fate, of, the fate of the world rests in the outcome of this game. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like most big games, you can't call them big unless the fate of the world rests on them, so the logic checks out. I just re- that that's such a great episode. I just I've been doing a Seinfeld rewatch, and that that is obviously one of the early season um, highlights. As uh, as uh, yeah, just perfectly written. Anyways, we're not talking. We should have talked about the little episode of Seinfeld, but we're not. We're talking about Patriot Games. This is an interesting one because this is a movie that I've been aware of forever. Um, it it felt like something I actually had purchased it at like even a voodoo sale. Because I'm like, well, at some point I got to get to these like Harris, these 80s and 90s Harrison Ford movies that I've never seen. Um, and I think I owned it on VHS at like a used sale and then never got around to watching it as well. There, there was a part of me that really wanted to, to watch it because it's, you know, it was a big box office hit. Harrison Ford's in it. Early 90s Harrison Ford. Um, it, it got generally pretty good reviews when it came out. Um, I really like this era of um, kind of we'll call it like smart boy action movies, you know, where like movies for adults. Yeah, yeah. Like In the Line of Fire came out the year after this, which is a movie I would love to cover on this show, which, you know, has the Clint Eastwood and John Malkovich as the Secret Service agent. Like these were movies that I was always very aware of when they were in theaters, but wasn't old enough to see because this came out when I was uh, nine. My plan was at some point to watch this end Clear and Present Danger. I know Clear and Present Danger has less of a positive reputation than than this movie. I I mentioned this at though the end I of think, last though I think a little bit has it's flipping over time. I feel like people that care about this stuff are like Clear and Present Danger is weirdly like uh, uh, rising up in the ranks. I'm gonna have to revisit it. Well, let's let's talk about people that care about this stuff. So I told you that I have seen Hunt for Red October. Which I saw when I was probably like 11 or 12. My parents had rented it. And I thought it was a horror movie. Because it like had like a scary red face on the cover. <laughs> um, and uh, it called Hunt for Red October. And yes, when I flipped it in the back, it was a picture of a man in a submarine outfit that looked quite a lot like Indiana Jones' dad. But I was like, well, this will still be pretty, pretty good. Like, I've heard about this movie. I've seen it at the video store. Not a horror movie. And just definitely not what I was looking for as an 11 or 10-year-old or however old I was. Like, it just... that. So I never revisited it. And I, I, I know... It's, it feels like I should. I think we were talking about, like, I should go revisit it because Hunt for Red October rules. And, you know, now that I, like, think about it, yeah, Sam Neill, Sean Connery, you know, tense submarine thriller. Like, I fucking love Crimson Tide. I should uh, check out old Red October. Uh, but I never read any of these Tom Clancy books. Was very aware of them. I didn't know much about them, really. Like, I know that Jack Ryan 
has because I, I haven't seen the the remake or the like the I haven't seen the Sum of All Fears. I haven't seen the Chris Pont Prime Jack Ryan. I haven't Chris seen Pine either of those. And I definitely haven't seen uh, the weirdo uh, guy from The Office. I have uh, seen the John Krasinski reboot thing. I don't know if it's you the, have. Yeah, I have. Yeah, the the loved by right wingers, from what I can understand, John Krasinski <laughs> one. I, I yeah, I, I don't I don't really know uh, why right wingers would run it because it's too uh, politically muddled to ever be taken as a. Uh, it's too politically muddled to ever be taken as a right wing tome. It actually tries to water down a lot of Tom Clancy's like <laughs> like a uh, jingoism. Well, so that's what I learned, right? Like, we'll talk about your history a little bit, but as I as I learned about this movie, so Tom Clancy's name is not on the like front titles like it was with Red o- Red Red October because he before this movie came out, uh, like denounced it. He said it was too much changes from the book. Uh, he also we'll talk about the Harrison Ford Alec Baldwin thing here in a second. But his biggest complaint, Peter, which uh, I read late in my research game and made me reevaluate like eight things, was <laughs> they didn't like how left wing they made Jack Ryan in this movie. Or Tom Clancy didn't like how, quote unquote, left wing they made Jack Ryan in this movie when he was supposed to be so right wing in the book. And then I find out there's 30 Jack Ryan novels. They have continued after Tom Clancy's death. And somewhere around 2006, when Tom Clancy was still writing him, he becomes the president, mm-hmm. uh, the right wing president, who is, of course, a hero. So that made me like, that was like the last thing I read last night, Peter, like in prep for this. And I'm like, OK, wait, huh, do I like any of this now? Like, <laughs> that well, that's... Jack Ryan was a right wing hero who became a right wing pre- Like, can you imagine being like, ah, yeah, George W. Bush, 2006, everything's going great. Let's make our boy a Republican president. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, yeah. I don't, uh, I, I don't totally understand this sudden realization among people that that like, oh, Tom Clancy, you know, uh, he. He uh, wrote. All- I don't totally understand this like sudden realization that I see on Twitter. They're like, uh, actually, Tom Clancy l- wrote some really regressive stuff and s- stuff in some of his books. I was like, have you played any of the video games that come out like every six <laughs> months? Like, they're entirely. Oh about yeah, you're a lot- big Rainbow Six fan. I am- Rainbow Six Siege is one of the best games of all time. Um, but every every one of those games, except for Siege, which has like almost no discerning story. Uh, is about uh, why we need to continually pump money into the military-industrial complex and keep development of special ops teams to do, you know, uh, interventions all throughout the world because these terrorist threats, these homegrown terrorist threats, they can arise from anywhere, and the only way to deal with them is at the end of a bayonet. Um, and like all the, even the games that try to soften that um, end up end up not. <laughs> um, I'm specifically thinking of the Splinter Cell games that, like, at some point in them, in the series, this large military-industrial conspiracy, it becomes clear that, like, oh, all these, like, these, like, brush fire wars are there just to um, uh, stoke up military budgets. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting idea because that's literally, like, what Dwight Eisenhower Eisenhower said on his way out of office is, like, eventually the business of of war is going to become our primary business and it became very true uh less than 10 years after this movie came out the in the the splinter cell games then they made one of them that had extended torture sequences 
were, I think it's Conviction, you extended torture sequences where you beat information out of people, and then I believe one of the levels takes place, you're sneaking around Gitmo, so you can, I don't know if it's Abu Ghraib or Gitmo, I just remember it's an American detention camp, you're not allowed to kill any soldiers. I I mean, I quit Rainbow Six, I think, to Vegas or whatever, because I couldn't get past, like, the first 45 seconds without getting shot by the computer on easy and i'm like fuck this i don't know what this is but it's not not for me i played a ton um, of these games i've completed yeah, a ton clearly. of these games i can't really anymore because like the military sim genre is just too interlaced with politics i don't agree with but growing up i i loved the the challenge of them particularly the rainbow six yeah uh well that that is interesting um no i i guess i just didn't know like i mean they're all obviously when your heroes like a cia um analyst or whatever like those aren't usually the most lefty people but even like watching (laughs) this movie and hearing that he was upset about how like what a fucking communist they made harrison ford (laughs) like like is that because he became a professor and taught people knowledge like what what happens in this that he's like ah goddamn liberal i yeah because the way i see it is that jack ryan in the movie and this is a character that i generally really like despite my political beliefs. It's a character I generally really like in the way that um, that Harrison Ford Im- embodies. And uh, really quickly, Harrison Ford basically in an interview, they're like, why'd you want to play Jack Ryan? And he's like, I played a lot of like guys in suits for a while. I thought I should play someone who punches somebody. <laughs> um, he's like, I needed to play somebody who punches somebody again. Uh, like, I think he, in a he, suit. He's like, I, yeah, I wanted to do action movies again. Like, that was kind of it. Yeah, because um, yeah, he was doing like late 80s. He does some kind of weird stuff. Yeah. Like, po- uh, but yeah, but we've covered we've covered the fact what? that he made a uh, like leftist anti-colonialist tome uh, yeah. in the Mosquito Coast. And uh, he was more pa- he was more passionate about it than the director was even, you know, decades later. But I really like well, that was well. we talked about how like that was his pivot point from like unimpeachable box office star. Right. Yeah. Like not not that he didn't have a bunch of like uh, big movies afterwards, but like. Like we we read through his like career from like that point to whenever, and it was it was fucking just nuts. Like after Mosquito Coast is where you get yeah he does Frantic, he does Working Girl, he does Indiana Jones, he does Presumed Innocent regarding Henry. Like uh, Working Girl, he's great in. He's kind of a he's a almost a co star. He's definitely not the star of Working Girl. Indiana Jones Last Crusade obviously rules, but yeah, Frantic, Presumed Innocent regarding Henry are much more dour. And then after Patriot Games, he does The Fugitive, Clear and Present Danger, uh, and then does his his late 90s stuff is bizarre. We could talk about that some other time. But uh, yeah, I, that tracks, right? Because like no one talks about Presumed Innocent anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, everybody talks about Do you think he was guilty? <laughs> I've never seen it. What's the assumption? Well, presumption. What's the presumption? Yeah. Um, or it, or it's an yeah, it's an ironic title about how he's not presumed innocent. But yeah, this is a movie that I actually really like Harrison Ford's performance in because it is such a stoic man of honesty, and that he has like doubts throughout the movie, and 
he performs one act of like uh, violent heroicism, violent stu- stupid heroicism. People, people throughout the movie are giving him various reactions to it. Like some are teasing him lightly, but being like, you did a good job. And some people are like, what the fuck were you doing? Like that was an idiot, yeah. idiot thing to do. And like, he's internalizing all of that because he doesn't actually know how he feels about it. It's just that he knew it was wrong to murder this member of the royal family out in the street or kidnap him out in the street uh and so he he wanted to stop that and like he's like still figuring out whether his action is like a moral or ethical choice and then that gets that like sort of attempt to go back to normalcy and try and like digest his actions gets interrupted by uh him being hunted which kind of puts him back on his back haunches and like it it kind of helps um smooth over for somebody like me who's like very much like i generally don't root for the cia in movies uh i uh it it puts me uh, i think a little bit more comfortable because it becomes this like personal tale of vengeance and it helps like assuage some of like that discomfort with watching a movie about a cia guy with immense resources hunting down uh, an IRA splinter, when I myself have many, many uh, sympathies with the, the uh, you know, uh, Irish Republican cause. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating movie because, like, it, 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 it does try and build some nuance and some, um, some nuance and some, some problematic sort of difficulty in it because so many of the conflicts are personal but everybody is trying to make them global. But for Harrison Ford, he's like, I just want to teach my class and I want my family to not be murdered. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that's why I've struggled a little bit with like understanding what fucking Tom Clancy was talking about. Like, like, it, like the things that I would go like, what are mildly left wing? Because so, yeah, he does. We'll talk about this when we get through the plot. He does save a member of the royal family. Uh, and you know uses violence and and blah blah blah. Can we and, pause there really quickly? Yeah, that is based on a real incident where Princess yep. Anne was going to be abducted, and a random person uh, beat up the the guy who was who killed her or shot her her guard, and stopped the the kidnapping attempt or assassination attempt. And then um, also in the original book, it was the prince and princess of Wales. So it was like yeah. you know. <laughs> the next well, yeah, because Philip Philip Noyce, the director, which is a great name to say that we should do way more often throughout this episode. Bring the noise! <laughs> oh, noise! 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 Anytime um, we like what he does, we have to say. Noise. He's from Australia too, so that's like fucking perfect. Noise, you know, directed Dead Calm. Noise, noise. Oh yeah, it's it's Australian for noise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's nice? No, it's noise. <laughs> um. But uh, but like his justification for it is like when he asked when when Samuel Jackson's like come on just tell me why you did it he's like honestly it just annoyed me that that was happening <laughs> which fe- that feels like I know this is gonna sound dumb but like that feels right wing I think the only thing like so essentially what happens like they come to kill his family he's like. Is it left wing that he didn't just go on a murder hunt, but rejoins the CIA to fight? Like he doesn't become a armed vigilante and instead uses the resources of a very right wing organization to do it. Like, is it left wing that like when he's not a hundred percent sure that the lady in the picture is the lady who was uh, involved in the kidnapping? That he's not like never mind, go kill all those civilians. Like, 
And he's like, I'm going to be sure before I potentially get a bunch of people killed. Like, I, I, I mean this honestly and not jokingly, Peter. Like, the fact that Tom Clancy saw this movie was like, this guy is a fucking hippie communist. I can't, this guy, people are going to hate this. He needs to be right wing. Like, I can't help but go like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, Again, I don't. We don't want to spend too much you know time what? here. The but only like, thing I, re- I, can... I really, I've never. I don't know if you've ever read any of the books. I have. I yeah. really am having trouble. You have? Yeah. Okay. Have you read this book? I read this book about fifteen years ago. So, in a sense, no. <laughs> okay. Can you help me understand what part of this movie or what part of his character does he make left wing compared so the to? Broad I guess strokes are all basically the same, um, and. He uh, the ending is is changed uh, a little bit. Jack Ryan doesn't end up killing uh, Sean Miller. Um, he's some. I think he gets like caught leaving the country or something. Um, it's very much more of like a realistic take where it's like he's he man. They managed to assi- uh, uh, survive this like assassination attempt at the the family's like uh, you know uh, seaside cottage. Um, but uh, I think they like police and military catch the rest of this IRA splinter um, before they are able to uh, before they're able to get away but it's, it's a more of a realistic thing where it's like he survives the situation but he's not like actively murdering every single one of the, the soldiers uh, the only thing I can think of is uh, that make the a book, more right wing? the thing I can think of in terms of approach and I ha- obviously I didn't reread the book for this um, is that it how Jack Ryan approaches the hunt for the IRA, he is very considered and he takes violence very seriously and he finds the act of the satellite view, uh, watching over the that camp in Libya where they um where they uh, launch an SAS a- a- attack and you're yeah. watching the entire thing over thermal, which is like an, an amazing scene. It's like maybe my favorite scene in the movie. Uh, because it's so complicated for him. He's like, I do want these dangerous, this dangerous splinter organization, you know, taken off the map. But like, they didn't even stand a chance. Like these SAS guys did wipe them out in like less than two minutes, just like James Earl Jones said. Um, and there's a guy in the room just sipping his coffee going like, oh, he said something like, oh, it's basically over. Um, and, and like, yeah, there's still many explosions to be had. But like, just he's watching the footage. He's seen enough of these things that he's so cold that he's watching it like a football game. And there, and uh, I, I really like the sad, sympathetic score by James Horner that's playing during this sequence because it's basically like it is an act of like both like awe and horror, where it's like incredible that they're such a fine-tuned machine that they can like wipe out this camp in the desert in two minutes, yeah. and be in and out, and everyone is dead, and you can watch it from you know a god's eye view from you know thousands of miles away but it's horrifying because it's just like an immense power to wield and he the left wing thing i could maybe see tom clancy chucking at it is that like they nobody in the room except for jack ryan and james earl jones is like supervisor seems to understand the gravity of this power and it i want to talk about that more later but like that sequence to me is like rather haunting in the era of the you know endless war on terror yeah, because like I think no, I don't think Jack Ryan is ever in those rooms anymore. I think it's just the guy sipping coffee. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing, right? He's not a. T- I mean, everyone's like, you're not a field agent. Stop punching people, <laughs> right? Like you're you're an analyst. Punch. 
uh, yeah, he, like, look, he wanted to punch you. I mean, he is played by Harrison Ford. Like, we know Harrison Ford. Can, Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford. Can can throw a punch. Uh, like, Harrison Ford, I'm getting front dick. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sting of Tantric. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, like, which is kind of cool. Like, yeah, he's... One of the things that kind of surprised me about this movie when I was expecting a little bit more of a, like, in the line of fire movie is that it's not um it's not like a diehard it's not like a uh you know a serial adventure movie where like he's getting out of scrapes and doing stuff there's like a lot of them putting puzzle pieces together and tracking down leads and like you know there's like really right in the middle of the movie is that moment i mentioned where there's almost a centerpiece around I am 99% sure I have these people at this camp based on this whole satellite thing I've manipulated. And they're and like my boss is like, are you sure? And he's like, God damn it. I'm not sure. And then the like, movie, it takes, it takes like minutes for him to do more an- analytical, yeah. analytical evidence and to poke more into like the backgrounds and connect in with other uh, military groups. Notably, I think it's Scotland Yard. Like it takes, it takes minutes for him to figure that shit out. Minutes in movie, I, I not minutes in. I imagine in real life, that's like days and days. Well, yeah, just moving those satellites. Yeah, satellite repositioning. And, and it's yeah. not a guy who's roguishly trying to, you know, like he doesn't have a supervisor breathing down his back, his neck to. Um, he doesn't have a supervisor breathing down his neck to follow the rules. His supervisor is just like holding him to the same accountability that he would to any analyst and James Earl Jones is giving him privileges because he trusts him. And like, that's like a, that's like an interesting workplace, like drop piece of drama is like his boss is not an asshole. His boss is just like, we're wielding, we are, we're playing with like God's sword right now. Like we have to take this shit very seriously. Yeah. And James Earl Jones is like, I also take it seriously, but I take him very seriously. I think he's like one of the only people in the room capable of wielding this, this weapon. Yeah, they really want their analyst back. Uh, and then he comes back and they're just like, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing, bud? Um, it was like a lot of fight just to have maybe maybe some weird sadomasochistic power games that one mustache guy is playing. Yeah. You fucking idiot. Uh, that, <laughs> he's that really believable like, as a boss. He's just sort of like... He's just sort of like, he is like he's like you got you got to just leave the CIA when you wanted to, and now you just need to c- come back to your analyst job. You probably skipped a bunch of like background clearances, like just because you were you know your my my boss has a personal connection with you. You got to jump back into like my my bullpen, and like that that's like a I think that's like an understandable conflict. I don't think the movie treats it like no no it's, <laughs> no it's not got him. It's not sibling, but you can kind of see why he wasn't, like, anxious to come back if that was his boss, too. Oh, true, yeah. Um, but, uh... <laughs> also, also, yeah. you can see why the boss, like, on a personal level doesn't really like him, because I think he's, like, I think James Earl Jones was, was setting him up to take his his job. Yeah. Like, having yeah, a team of analysts right. under him. Yeah, I mean, I do think what's funny is that, like, I guess I would have guessed that Tom Clancy and this character was left-wing. Like, um, like he was like, you know, the not left wing, but like centrist left, uh, you know, the, the, the one good man or one of the good people in the CIA trying to do good things. Cause like, you know, so much of Hunt for the Red October from my memory is like, it feels like the type of jingoistic people are like, 
who cares? Let's kill this Russian sub. Like, it doesn't matter if he's defecting, not defecting. They're Russians. They're bad guys. They're our enemies. If I, again, if if I've misremembered Hunt for Red October, totally possible. But I feel like Jack Ryan's the guy who's like, no, he's trying to defect. Let's let him defect. Like, we we should welcome people that are like, you know, not trying to do us harm or whatever else and stuff like that. And so like, and then again, you know, he he doesn't seem, I mean, he definitely seems like right wing, but like for 90s era republicanism, like we need to gather the facts and, or maybe 20, 2010 era republicanism, we need to gather the facts and check the studies and do the data work and like just feel something like, Again, not respectable because they still in the CIA, but like a good part of that. So to find out that this is like a hard right character was very surprising to me. And the interesting thing about that and, and to say something nice about Tom Clancy is that like I do think his books got more right wing and more unhinged as time went on. Um, and a lot of his early books are about that sort of like the compassion and care and making right decisions by the... T- I think by the time he gets to Rainbow Six, you can see him just getting, like, obsessed with the concept of power because the Rainbow Six book is... I think a lot of people don't know Rainbow Six was a book. Um, But uh, Rainbow Six is, like, very much about, like, what if the UN built an Avengers of the most badass killers on the planet? Like, uh, but some of these, particularly these Jack Ryan books, the reason Jack Ryan is his central character is because... He is Jack Ryan in a sense. Uh, Tom Clancy worked in in, in, in like an insurance background as like sort of like an analyst in looking at like various variables to protect his clients. And like uh, he would you you say variable variables, variable variables. The X has a X as an exponent. (laughs) It means nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, but he, he had that sort of like analytical approach to his work, even though it wasn't as, again, like wielding this sort of God, this like ability to like use satellite footage and a team of like the best killers on the planet to, to scrub people from the planet. Um, he, he had this sort of like in some of his early work that I remember, like he had this sort of like understanding for the, the need to be right and that the need to be honest and the need to be true. And, like, you see that the best parts of Jack Ryan, when he, Jack Ryan is filtered through somebody else who is has more left political leanings. Yeah, I guess that tracks. I mean, it is true that, like, not that, like, the Newt Gingrich and Republican Revolution stuff of the 90s or earlier Republicanism and conservatism was anything to, like, write home about, but, like... I was like, these were good. These There were no good ones. Uh, but, I mean, 9-11 just broke a lot of people's yeah. brains. I think him uh, and, and Frank Miller are two people that I stopped reading after 9-11. And Michael Crichton after he decided that global warming wasn't real for me. Um, oh. Global warming and uh, workplace sexual harassment. Oh, yeah. I mean, I disclosure was, I mean, when I was reading, you know, a lot of Michael Crichton, it was like, fucking dinosaurs, fucking eaters of the dead, magic apes. Oh. A lady? <laughs> <laughs> a woman who wants to have sex? That's that's far-flung science fiction for Michael yeah, just, Crichton. Uh, the ones I never read in that, I read a lot of Crichton when I was like fourth, fifth grade, and I did not read Disclosure, and I did not read Rising Sun, uh, which is the other one that people are like, oh, the scenes that this guy was a douchebag were there. Rising, like, Rising Sun is pretty racist, and the movie is like 20% less racist. 
and it's still racist. Yeah, I, I never. I mean, it just didn't, like the Crichton stuff, like this fear, like a weird alien orb, like <laughs> some Kaiser in Japanese wasn't like, oh my god, this is what I want from the dinosaur guy. <laughs> Yeah, and I I think the like I think like we'll come back to it over the course of the episode, but like I'm trying to think if I've ever the thing read that I all, you like, mentioned all these like Clive Clusler like did you read all the who John like I I don't think I've ever read a John Grisham book I never read a John Clive Clusler book no nope. Clusler Clive, Clive Clusler who right. is the second rate Stephen King I've never read one of his books. oh uh, Dean Koontz never read it Dean never Koontz. read a Koontz I've heard there's a couple good Koontz out there but it's largely just like why didn't I read Stephen King. You know what I read a lot of, like a lot, lot of, uh, someone you've never heard of, uh, but I read like it was like that was my person. Like, oh, Harry Turtle Dove has a new book out. Uh, he wrote alternate history, which I've never went back and read any of it. But it's a lot of like, what if the South won, got AK forty sevens and won the Civil War? I imagine it is a racist and B does not hold up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's the thing that we're, I want to keep coming back to tonight is that, like the the thing. One of the things I like about this movie is while it has some very cool action sequences, the the the, the film doesn't really like glorify violence or find it like cool and sexy like a like a Bond movie would. No, um, and like uh, Harrison Ford very often like his plan at the end of the movie is to get everybody away from this, uh, you know, IRA splinter group. His plan is not to home alone them, um, home alone them until they're dead. The, the, the violence in the movie is very often focused on being like scary and punctuated and, 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 you know, at best thrilling, um, but it's supposed to be sort of startling in its in its um, suddenness in a way that like yeah like it, it recalls it recalls the the British Le Car thrillers particularly the the you know the the, the spy thrillers uh, that the BBC would put together yeah but just no, a I little agree, sexier like, a little bit sexier of like camera work well, it's got Harrison Ford yeah it's got Harrison sexier. Ford Harrison did Ford. you watch sorry did you watch Dead Calm. I, I didn't get to Dead Calm but yeah I noticed that he you know he went back to the he went back to the boat. Back to the boat. It all comes back. I mean, he's he's uh, no John McTiernan, but he's good at a taught thriller. Let's talk a little bit about that, and then we can pivot to the movie. So, what's so interesting is that, like, um, you know, there this this was a like Hunt for Red October was successful. Alec Baldwin wanted to come back as Jack Ryan. He was contracted to come back. Somewhere along the line, John McTiernan had never who had directed Hunt for Red October. He had never wanted Alec Baldwin. He'd always want Harrison Ford. The studio had always kind of wanted Harrison Ford. And I believe there is some differing opinions on this that Tom Clancy always wanted Harrison Ford as well. So Alec Baldwin, just because of some scheduling conflicts with, I believe, um, Frantic uh, that, that Harrison Ford was was shooting at the time, was they weren't able to work a deal with him. And then Alec Baldwin gets in and does a, a few picture deal. McTiernan wants to come back. And make clear and present danger. And there is a lot of different accounts of this. The end result is that um, they demanded that they shoot it at this time. That they knew that Alec Baldwin was busy. So, sorry, I guess you can't do the picture. You got to be let out of your contract. And, oh, look, Harrison Ford just happens to be available to do it. Uh, Harrison Ford kind of has told the story that he knew nothing about any of it until they said the role was open. Alec Baldwin thinks that Harrison Ford came in and screwed him. There are tons of differing accounts, but yeah, Alec, Alec Baldwin claims that there was some sort of 
pay or play deal and that like they had him on Harrison Ford on some sort of agreement. And if they got rid of Alec Baldwin, which they didn't like for some other reason, uh, they could pull in Harrison Ford, get a big, big star behind this, you know, this emerging franchise and uh, keep it going. Like, I, I don't think the story is, is as simple as the initial version that was passed around yeah. by the studio, which is, oh, I needed to do Streetcar named as Alex Baldwin needed to do a Streetcar named Desire streetcar on, named on the stage. Uh, so he couldn't he couldn't come back. And so they kind of rebooted the series. I mean, it's like technically a sequel, but Harrison Ford is like almost 20 years older than Alec Baldwin. Yeah. And they recast the uh, they recast uh, Gates McFadden as the wife, too. And. Uh, now, now, of course, so John McTiernan was one of the big people that was behind wanting to get Harrison Ford. Then this, and he was ready to go make Clear and Present Danger. And then the studio was like, nah, we don't want to do Clear and Present Danger. We want to do Patriot Games. And then McTiernan leaves because he uh, he's Irish. And McTiernan. <laughs> and... So they like are like, all right, fine. Like we'll bring in Philip Noyce. I just think it's also. Like crazy I think that- the I think he probably read the book and went. This is a uh, pretty uh, anti IRA and a- anti uh, against the uh, Irish liberation uh, movement. Um, the the presence the script that we ended up getting for Patriot Games. I think is very different from the movie, uh, the book, as we Which just discussed. Maybe, maybe that's what explains the like uh, two left wing that the movie itself doesn't like condemn the IRA. The movie itself is actually very gentle on the IRA itself and has like some sympathies for for the movement, um, despite yeah. a scene of Jack Ryan yelling at uh, yelling at Richard Harris in a bar. Um. Sure, but like he he's also like help me. Cause he, he I, maybe you know it's funny. Maybe we are coming around to where he's left wing because he is. He's like, I know you guys aren't like this. Like the the brutal attempted kidnapping and killing and attack on my family. Like I know that you guys aren't like this. And I guess having any sort of empathy for an organization uh, trying to bring about some sort of freedom is like, yeah, you fucking hippie. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's what's interesting about the movie is someone who considers themselves a supporter of uh, Sinn Féin and uh, someone with Irish roots, like my last name is very Irish, and uh, very much considers uh, the the idea of uh, Irish uh, independence from uh, England to be a, a, a something that we need to, like, I want to see in my lifetime. I, I want to see in the next 10 years. Uh, and this movie was made in 1992, which is about six years before the Good Friday Agreement, which um, was a ceasefire between the uh, IRA, um, the uh, the loyalist uh, militant groups, and the British Crown, and some other parties involved, because certain people don't recognize the authority of other people. Um, if you want to read more about it, I don't think this podcast is the way to get the best information on the Good Friday <laughs> uh, Good Friday Treaty. But it essentially caused the end of uh, officialized uh, military war uh, between the IRA, uh, which wants... Um, is a you know a uh, socialist uh, socialist political uh, group um, the the wants Irish reunification Irish reunification wants all of Ireland to be one nation and independent from uh, from England and uh, the uh, royal crown which did not want that and uh, 
essentially waged a, a civil war on its own people in many ways. And also a piece that I think it's lost in the debate here because America is uh, allies with the English English crown and the, the, uh, the English government, the British government, is that um, the there is a uh, Ulster loyalist group, which is essentially British Protestant, far-right British Protestants that waged a bloody yeah. war back against uh, Irish and particularly Irish Catholics in Ireland. And they are single-handedly this, like, this uh, Ulster group is single-handedly responsible for most, most of the bloodshed uh, during the Troubles, uh, not the IRA, but because the IRA is in strict opposition to one of the U.S.'s allies, the IRA sticks in people's minds as a terrorist group, and most people have not even heard of this, like, Irish loyalist terrorist group with, like, ties to neo-Nazis. And so, yeah, like, uh, America, shocking. <laughs> the American shocking vision... that when America came up against right-wing fascists uh, and uh, left-wing socialists trying to do uh, to give more power to people against some form of tyranny that the United States painted the right-wingers as the good guys? <laughs> Are you sure? Let's read a lot of history and see if that, that matches up. Yeah, and it's, it's something that, like, I, uh, you know, the more you dig into the history, the more you find out that, like, the, the um, while the IRA is responsible for horrible atrocities, like, the IRA is, is like, a, a paramilitary arm of, like, a very real struggle and a very legitimate struggle that uh, wishes for independence that they should have been granted, but that the same way that Many, many other territories and many Literally, other countries were granted. <laughs> when England dozens and dozens of nations, weirdly, all had the same problem with Great Britain. Yeah. Do you think they conspired against Great Britain? What do you think was going on? <laughs> this is also a great reason, if you want one more reason to hate Maggie Thatcher, look up at her involvement during the Troubles and during this era. Just a, just a real winner. We love... But yeah, the point of this is that there's a main IRA branch that the movie has, like, actually some sympathies for, and I think that uh, Tom Clancy does not. Uh, and the movie very much draws a clear line in the sand between uh, the IRA... Uh, the IRA is, and a splinter group. And the that... splinter group, and specifically, uh, Richard Harris is, like, the spokesperson for uh, Sinn Féin, which is, like, the political arm of, of that sort of Irish nationalist movement. Yeah, and so McTiernan got what he wanted. Get rid of Alec Baldwin, get to make it with Harrison Ford, and then the studio's like, all right, but sell out your country, man. <laughs> and he's like, no, thank you. So yeah, weirdly, we got uh, we got everyone replaced, uh, even though everyone wanted to come back. We got Patriot Games, Peter. Oh, except for James Earl Jones. Oh, James Earl Jones, yeah. That is the, that's that's the it. one holdover. He's omnipresent, though. <laughs> he, like, took a break from this and, like, I'm going to go do Frog and Toad on PBS in this era. Like, he had a good run. He had a great run. Great run. Occasionally, uh, that also happened. Uh, there's a couple people that went over from Manhunter to Silence of the Lambs, which is kind of funny. They're just chill bros. <laughs> They're just chill bros. Just some... Hey, like, you're going to be in this movie, too. You want to be a chill bro? And they said, well, yeah. chill? They said nothing because they were like, I, from my understanding supposed to be quiet in this one (laughs) Uh, but yeah so all those people that had nothing to do with the success of hunt for red october and james earl jones went and made patriot games peter you ready to talk more about these patriot games yeah let's do it
I said, uh, I, I, laddie. Or, oh, you get, you're really getting into the games, are we? <laughs> you're getting better. You're getting better than you were in the green room. If I commit to it, I can do an okay Scottish or Irish accent. Yeah. But it just I, takes just, some like, I used to do it all the time. Say Kevin. qualified than me let's do it tell me what's going on with these patriot games uh patriot do they do they say games. the national anthem before this movie starts <laughs> what sorry do they say the national anthem before this movie starts <laughs> well you know uh what the title comes from right uh yeah so there's a a, a nationalized they Irish are, song called the Pats. patriot game it became like sort of a folk song uh, oh. Bob Dylan covered it, but he didn't actually cover it. He like changed the lyrics. People, must be Patriot it. Games. Must be Patriot Games. Yeah, that's that was the Bob. Must version, be right? Patriot Games. He's got a beard that's red and red. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the only Bob Dylan song I've listened to in the last week is uh, "Must Be Santa." <laughs> Must be Santa. Must That's be one where he has, the whole, he has the whole band, so it just kind of sounds like a choir. Yeah, I love Bobby D. Bobby D! He got constantly confused for like, oh, do you sing Red Rubber Ball? He's like, no, oh, that's Bobby V. That's Bobby D. <laughs> I loved you in the Four Seasons. No! Ball, no! I don't want it! <laughs> you just turned to the Tom Haverford. Uh, we can drop that reference. Um, what happens in this week? <laughs> so, Patriot Games. Uh, Jack Ryan is in England for... Uh, he's giving a speech to uh, some sort of British uh, military institution. Uh, and he brought his family with him. He's a, a professor uh, for the Naval Academy in Annapolis, but he has been brought over to give this, this speech, uh, and he's decided to turn it into like a mini vacation for him and his, his family, which is his wife and uh, their daughter, played by uh, Thora Birch, um, who is very cute in this movie. Um, very good. Sorry that her dad ruined her career. Yeah, Thora Birch was so adorable and so talented, and it is very sad that there's not that many movies of her, um, because, yeah, her dad was a fucking weirdo. Um, but um, they are walking through uh, the, the like London Mall one day, and uh, they see a, uh, a couple cars pull over and uh, assault a vehicle um and it takes uh jack ryan a moment to realize what's going on so he has his family take cover and he's watching uh ira sect uh has, is attacking uh a guy named lord holmes which in the book it, it was like the, it's prince the, charles right in the no. book is basically prince charles in this it's just like a royal guy i think it's like the queen's cousin or something <laughs> it's just... I mean, I I think you can make a case that 
Jack Ryan was like, I don't think you should kidnap anyone regardless of royal status. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the thing. He doesn't give a shit about the, the monarchy so much. He's just like, no, you just like murdered a bunch of, you murdered a, like a driver and a guard. And now you're just trying to take these two terrified people out of the back of the car. I don't like this. He picks his moment. He tackles one of them. Uh, he gets shot and he shoots and kills one of them before they're able to kill him. Uh, in this moment, uh, the, the rest of this IRA sect drives away, uh, but it leaves two at the scene. Um, Sean Bean, uh, who's alive and just got captured, and uh, Sean Bean's dead brother, uh, who Sean Bean will spend the entire movie uh, trying to avenge. Uh, uh, Sean Bean's character's name is uh, Sean Miller. Noted movie survivor, Sean Bean. Uh, he does make it to, like, the last three minutes. He, he though, makes it to so. the end. One thing I love about Sean Bean is that when he was younger, he looks like a quintessential bad guy, and they kept making him bad guys in movies, and then he got a little more, a little older, you know, a little more, uh, not as tight, tight skin on the face as having everyone, they're like, he looks like a dad. Yeah. A sad dad. You know what people never talk about about Sean Bean? It, particularly in this, like, mid-90s era? Yeah. Um... John Pien is hot. Yeah. He gets that, I mean, he gets that weird when, when he haircut. gets rid of the dumbass mullet haircut in this movie, it's like, oh, wait, who are you, Mr. Bean? He's really Normally hot. when I say, oh, Mr. Bean, it's not to say how good looking he is. It's more like, put that down. You will cause a disaster. But in this case, Mr. Bean, hello. Yeah. In, uh, what I was going to say is uh, in uh, GoldenEye, which is another movie, 90s movie I love very much, um, he, <laughs> he, I think that's still up there with best Bond villain. He's so good in that movie. He's like, so good in that. I used to think I loved that movie because of Pierce Brosnan and stuff like that. And Pierce Brosnan, like that's that's the only like I think unimpeachably good Pierce Brosnan Bond movie. But like as rewatches, the reason it's so fucking good is because of Sean B. Yeah, I, I rewatched it in the past six months because we were kind of jumping around the series a little bit, and we, and we were gonna just do all the Daniel Craig movies all the way through because my wife does, loves Daniel Craig, and uh, I was like, no, let's mix in some of the older ones, and she really, really liked Goldeneye. She thought Goldeneye was great, and it was kind of fun to share a piece of my childhood uh, with her, and it made me realize that, like, the rule with the Goldeneye movies, sorry, the rule with the Bond movies, I think, has been generally... Uh, the earlier you are to a particular sub franchise within it, like you closer you are to a or like the origin of the series, obviously like Doctor No and From Russia with Love are, are the the like the best. And then it, you know the further away you get from each reboot, the worse the movies get. Generally speaking, yeah. give or take a Moonraker. <laughs> yeah, Moonraker like Moonraker took the the Roger Moore era, which was like kind of boring and racist, and took it to like at least silly extremes. Right to the moon, Alice. It's funny because uh, Shauna and I were about to go do that over Christmas break to rewatch the or to, for her watch because she has minimal interest in James Bond, but her big celebrity crush is Rami Malek. Oh, that's funny. So it's a it's a great confluence for our wives for No Time to Die. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I was gonna say I'm excited to see No Time to Die though. Uh, I was gonna say uh, it is anything that's not Spectre will make us happy. I was like totally fine. with I, I liked Spectre, but I haven't rewatched like that. Maybe I just love that opening Mexico City scene. It's great. Anyways, so yeah, Sean Bean is uh, Sean Bean is out for vengeance, but his sort of globe trotting sect of the ira uh is uh has to move along uh and he's been captured 
Um, they uh, work to, he doesn't give up a single word, and they have, they work to recapture him, killing a bunch of guards in the process. This is a scene that a bunch of people were, <laughs> were like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why is this huge IRA prisoner that took a swipe at the crown being guarded by, like, a, a cop who decided to, ju- to jump along and uh, two bobbies in the back, like, unarmed? Uh, a lot of people are like, "Why that doesn't make any that doesn't make any fucking sense," um, but it's a great sequence where uh, the there's ex- mostly the movie very much tries to get away from like the spe- the big spectacle. There's explosions happening all around the car, so maybe there are guards being killed outside the vehicle. That would be my assumption. And then uh, the truck has to stop, and then. Uh, you're just hearing explosions and you're watching everybody in the car. Sean start to realize what's happening, but everybody else in the car start to panic. Uh, that's great. That's like a great thriller moment because it's it's taking more of like the Hitchcockian approach, which is like, you've seen explosions before, but like, ha- have you ever thought about what it would feel like to just be stuck in a van as yeah. the world closes in around you? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so Sean, uh, Sean is free, and now they're kind of like globetrotting terrorists uh, who want to take a swipe at uh, Ryan. Ryan goes back to. Uh, he's... Hold on, before before we move on with that, I just want to. This is critically important. I want to interject it. Since technically they have the same three last letters, what if uh, Sean's last name rhymed with his first name? What? Well, because you know Sean Bean. Yeah, it's S E A N. Yeah, B E A N. Like the 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 fact that we pronounce the vowels differently just seems wrong for like it should it's be Sean Bean. Bon. It should, yeah, it should be the, the scene Bean or Sean Bond. <laughs> I think Ryan Bowen, who couldn't be here tonight, calls him Scene Bean. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the most Irish? What, what's your Irish percentage again? I think I'm like forty fifty. Yeah, I'm in the like I'm in like the forty fifty, and the rest is like German and a little bit of spotting of like French or whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. I've never my taken grandpa one of those on one side was one hundred percent Irish, and then my grandpa on the other side was like fifty percent Irish. Yeah, um, I have a little so bit of both sides. But but Ryan, one hundred percent Irish. It would be interesting to know um, what he thinks about the IRA. But I guess we'll never know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Won't ask him after tonight. Hey, what 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 what's your, what's your sitch re colon or ira <laughs> um jack ryan gets knighted at some point like or like he gets some hold sort on of his like, real well, name it, is john that's not a flub that is his real name when is he gets john. knighted as john so yeah and yeah, his wife makes fun of him and says sir john <laughs> um so he gets he gets uh, knighted at some point off screen or he gets some sort of royal no he's at royal... we see him at the ceremony where they're talking about it Oh, really? Yeah, like, that's that whole thing, and then he goes to the court. Like, they're still in England. Like, oh, we I don't see him, like, being actually... interviewed by Scotland. I think he's just being interviewed by, like, Scotland Yard at that point, and then the guy no, comes in and he's like, what's the part where the people are giving you. a speech to honor him? Yeah, where they're honoring him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if that was the ceremony, I guess. Yeah, I don't but... know. But regardless, he, he, he sort of gets, he, he gets knighted, which is uh, part of the power the power fantasy popping in that, like, someday this guy's going to be president. Can, uh, can, yeah, can they knight Americans? I guess I didn't realize that was... Yeah, I don't know. I'm guessing it's some sort of order that allows them to have some sort of honor. I don't think so. I don't actually know how that shit works. I don't know what it what it bestows you other than, like, the, the queen adds you to their MySpace top eight. <laughs> 
I don't know. It's like you're like I have to pay really extra for my driver's here. license. It's longer, sir. It's longer than the other ones. <laughs> we have a special <laughs> night one. I mean, Aaron, when I when I you know when I want you to when I want to tell you I appreciate you, I'm just like I'm just like, hey, Aaron, I really love you. You're a good friend to me. I'm not like get the sword, get the sword get out. The sword. I gotta tap it on his head. I'm gonna tell um, him he's me mate. Hold on. Should we? Uh, Hold on, should we go through the list? Do you think they give do you think they give the queen a lighter and lighter sword every time that she gets Oh my older? god, you're going to fucking lose your mind uh when you find out the yes, Americans have been knighted. Holy shit. You're going to you're going to fucking flip out when or ordained, I guess. So you want to go through the list quick? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, George H.W. Bush. <laughs> President at the time of this film. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. What? What? Bill Gates and Melinda Gates. I was going to ask if Bill Gates is on the list. That's familiar to me. Mark Getty and Paul Getty. Okay. Who's the most recent? Yeah, that's for uh, philanthropy shit. Yeah. Billy Graham. Billy Graham? You're, I want to say. Don't knight anybody, Jack. Al- don't go to the ceremony. I almost want to save this one for the end. Because it's so fucking stupid. Although you know who who did it, but uh, never mind. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover, mm-hmm. Bob Hope, whatever, <laughs> Angelina Jolie, what? Ralph this is all Lor- for therapy. This is uh, this is all for philanthropy shit, right? That yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. She. To be clear, um, there's a big difference for why J. Edgar Hoover and Angelina Jolie <laughs> got their knighthoods. I would assume. Uh, Andre Previn. Is that Andre the Giant's last name? I don't think so. She needed to get on a ladder. <laughs> You're so old. He was, he was still kneeling. It was a runaway by fruiting. Um, Dame Marjorie Scardino. I don't know who that is. And the last one, Peter. <laughs> Sir. Th- this is triple alliteration, so this is pretty good. Sir Steven Spielberg. I don't think I knew that. I didn't know any of these people. How come we always hear when, like, it's Dame Judy Dench or, like, sir, is, is it because, like, Americans, like, don't put it in their movie credit titles Maybe or you anything? can only use, maybe there's, like, rules behind it. Like, you can only use it when you're in England or some shit. Like, there's, is there, like, a limitation behind, like, when you can actually, like, use that title? I don't know. Like, the only thing I can see or, from this... Or is it just, I think the more likely answer is, like, if somebody said, well, I'm knighted, so please call me sir. You would oh, I teeth. see. Hold on. Hold on. It They can still get a knighthood, but if they're not from England, they are not entitled to style themselves sir or dame. Ah, okay. So it's like, we're going to give you, you technically, like, like Jagger Hoover, you are technically a knight. But if you call yourself Sir J. Edgar Hoover, it's a slap in her face. I don't know enough about renouncing knighthoods, but I bet you can. <laughs> can you also imagine, like, I don't, I like the the concept of knighthood is is similar to all of the monarch. Like, as someone who's like anti monarchy, and I want all of the royals to be, I, I want the royal party just completely abolished. I want all these yeah. people to do to. I want all these people to do what Meghan did. Just be like, fuck this, we're out. Fuck you. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I I want it abolished. The queen gets to die a queen, and then after that, we're just done. Uh, I want Irish independence. I want all of that. Uh, the concept behind a woman with 
almost no power sitting in a castle <laughs> just being like I like him I want him <laughs> to be me knight <laughs> if anything gets fucked up you have to come be me knight <laughs> I know it got bad reviews but I quite like 1941 get this guy in here I'm gonna give him <laughs> one of my special awards <laughs> you know like... I get to give special awards to whoever I want <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> if you did your queen for another three minutes, I'm pretty sure it would end up being Jayla. It's all the same thing. It's actually, it's just Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> like, that I'm trying to. Oh, it was a drive by fruiting! <laughs> we should do Mrs. Doubtfire in the show. Um, We almost we, did. This, we almost did. this exact month? This, this very month. This but yeah, the idea, month. like, the idea of even being like, <laughs> you're a knight. Great, what do I do? Well, you can't even call yourself sir. And, don't tell uh, anyone! The, f- the first rule of being an American knight is you don't talk about being an American knight. <laughs> <laughs> so they just gave him, like, a cool ribbon? Is this a participation trophy? Yeah. Oh, look at those. Look at those. What? what, what what's the generation two before the greatest generation? <laughs> <laughs> giving out participation trophies to all the war criminals. <laughs> Good effort. Christ. I bet you also, did George H.W. have to go kneel? I don't know. Do you think George W. Bush, like, puked on her? Reason, the real reason <laughs> that he, the real reason that he attacked Iraq is he's like, I want to get one of those knighthoods like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> He's like he just assumed it was for all the war crimes. He assumed it was for the war, yeah. Well, also to 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 knight, My daddy got it. Knighting H W. As opposed to like literally any other president other than Gerald Ford is very and, funny well, to me. Well, they got yeah like, Eisenhower and and George H W Bush. Yeah, George H W is basically like a hangover from the Reagan. Oh well, era. well I mean they got Reagan. Hold, sorry, Reagan was on there too. Ugh. Oh, that's why. Yeah. Because I mean, HW is basically they're, they're just Reagan a, a Reagan hangover. Like, yeah. uh, attempted a few liberal policies, and then they backfired for him, and then he was like, nope, going towards the right wing, and then the Republican Party never looked back. But to be clear, when his wife calls him Sir, should I call you Sir John now, that is a international crime. <laughs> <laughs> to the Tower of London with ye! <laughs> Oh, do we have any relations with whoever occupies the Hague? (laughs) (laughs) Did they send Maggie there yet? Peggy? Maggie's dead? Did they send her bones there? If you, you're hundred percent right, though. Like this, if you want to just know the ridiculousness of the monarchy, there's this like random nine year old woman who's like, "Oh, I don't like you married one that looks like that," and everyone goes, "Oh, yes, thank you for speaking out." And they're like, "Go give your little prizes to people." <laughs> That's all she does. I'd sit on wealth for no reason. <laughs> I've changed my mind. <laughs> I've changed my. <laughs> I'm pro IRA sect in this movie now. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely pro-IRA sect in this movie, too. 
Um, but yeah, so they uh, they uh, kind of go international. Um, they one thing that they do is they set up a training camp in Libya, which is yeah. a, a true thing. The IRA, yeah, a lot, lot of Gaddafi talk. Yeah, there's a there's a few there's a few uh, you know name drops this movie makes for people that are dead. Too bad Gaddafi always did write like a theme song, like running terrorist camps like we're doing good, Gaddafi. <laughs> Well, Gaddafi was a uh, was a he, he, he because the IRA wasn't a socialist organization, not national yeah. socialist. It was just very different. Um, they hated national socialists. Yeah. Uh, they were a socialist organization. Um, they were uh, aligned with other groups that I have sympathies for, like the PLO and um, other, some groups I don't have sympathy for, like the Gaddafi go- government. But Gaddafi yeah. offered them. Um, training spots and, and hideaway spots in, in uh, Libya. And that's what they're referencing here. Um, so <clears throat> uh, there's a training camp uh, in Libya. And uh, essentially that's the, like the launching point of where uh, the IRA is going to, this IRA sect is going to launch attacks. Uh, and the first attack is on Paul, uh, Paul Ryan, God damn it, is on uh, Jack Ryan's family. And uh, Jack Ryan, his family, they're like, oh, yeah, the, the IRA, the, you know, basically James Earl Jones comes to him and he's like, the, they're not going to they're not going to come after you. They're not going to come after you. But just know that this guy that you killed his brother, he, he's, you know, he's out of prison. Uh, we're not going to, like, put a cop outside your house or anything. We're just going <laughs> to we're, we're just going to tell you that, like, it's probably not going to happen. Um, so. Uh, he, while he's teaching one day, uh, he leaves class and, uh, Jack Ryan is, uh, attacked by a man in a jumpsuit, um, who he, uh, just barely survives because a guard at Annapolis shoots this, uh, gunman down. Uh, he, ra- he realizes that there's an attack in his family and he races to try and save his, uh, wife and daughter, uh, who are driving back from picking her up from school. And Sean Bean and a guy are in a van, and they shoot her to the shoot her uh, Porsche to the point that it crashes into a divider. At this point, you know that uh, Jack Ryan's wife is pregnant, uh, and uh, all three of them end up surviving, but um, his daughter is in the hospital for uh, some time. At this point, uh, the Sinn Fein enter in because it's now become like a political thing, like the I. I these like this Irish subset has attacked, um, you know, Americans on American soil. Like we need to distance ourselves from them. And uh, Jack Ryan meets with Richard Harris, uh, guys play named O'Neill. And uh, yeah, Richard Harris uh, essentially tells him to fuck off because they're in an Irish bar filled with Irish people. And, and you know, the visibility is very bad uh, when Jack Ryan asks him give up these the sect they used to be part of they used to be part of the ira i know that they have uh they've split off but you can give me information that leads to them and like i'll go to the news and and you know put all this shit on on your lap uh, if you don't help me and uh i think you know through a combination of of of, of political political pragmatism and sympathy for jack ryan's family and also just wanting this shit to end like he wants this this subset gone uh, because they're bad for the the movement um yeah. he uh gives them up and that's another thing the movie makes very clear is because uh the this subset is so 
mad at the core IRA organization that they're trying to cause confusion and get the crown and get the get the British government uh, to start waging more of an open war against the IRA and for the IRA to strike back. And they're trying to sort of foment a conflict uh, while they're off doing certain like more uh, terrorist attacks. Um, And so the, uh, the, the, um, they go back to Libya after this attempted attack and Jack Ryan, uh, full of rage, uh, goes back to the CIA for the strict purpose of this project for, hunting down this IRA sect. Um, and one of the things that he does is he teams up with another team of analysts to try and find out where their camp is. Like, where the fuck are they hiding in the world? Um, and through some intel reports and stuff, they find out they're in Libya. They organize a raid, and we discussed some of the nuances of that earlier, but the it's, it's very uh, morally conflicting for him. And he doesn't pull the trigger until he's 100% confident that this camp is the group. Uh, and they pull the, he pulls the trigger, uh, in a, in the, like sort of a climactic sequence and they watch, uh, this group get decimated, uh, from satellite footage. And you think at this point, you're like, we're not at the end of the movie. There's like half an hour to go. Like what, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Also, we know that there's a rat in the, the company of this, um, Lord, what did I just call him? Lord Steve? Don't think that's his name, but I wish it was. <laughs> Lord Farquad. Lord Holmes. So uh, Lord Holmes comes to visit uh, Jack Ryan in his, his palatial manor. <laughs> in his, his like humble cottage on the, by the sea uh, for some reason. Um, and it, it's like part of an American tour. And he decides to like, you know, come stay at their house and have tea. And it's sort of like, a, you know, I'm thanking the man that saved my life. Kind of a... A little bit of a press opportunity. The press is not invited. And uh, there's a ton of guards in the compound. And we see one by one uh, those guards get taken apart. Yeah. And um, like, oh, there's a power outage because of this thunderstorm. And what I was going to say is uh, Jack Ryan starts to get more and more, like, curious about what's going on here. Because at this mm-hmm. point in the movie, he's he, he has some lack of faith that that strike actually did what it was supposed to do. And like, you know, there's, there must be somebody that was feeding information from the British government to this this sect. And everyone's trying to calm down. Like, Hey Jack, you're an analyst, not an overanalyst. Relax. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this is, again, this is one of those movies where like being paranoid is like seen as a virtue. Um, but he, uh, he attacks one of the the uh, Lord Holmes's, uh, you know, his like a butler, personal personal assistant, his like whoever. What do you, what do you call someone that manages your calendar? Mm, my AI assistant. Yeah, your assistant. Yeah. yeah, yeah, his Alexa. But his uh, his assistant, uh, he notices the assistant is packing, so he attacks the assistant, and he um, he gets information out of him. He basically, gets him to be like, "Yeah, there, there's five or six guys. They're already here. They're coming to kill you." And uh, so this this kicks off like a pretty exciting action sequence where these uh, guys in night vision goggles, this the, the the remainders of this IRA sect that escaped the camp somehow, they. Uh, who presumably they left the camp before the attack and they left the rest of their people behind to just sort of tend the camp. Um, They are here to finish the job from the beginning of the movie, capture Lord Holmes, ransom him, uh, 
for the release of Irish uh, Republican or Irish political prisoners. And of course, Sean Miller is there to uh, get vengeance. So there's sort of a mix of, of motivations for doing the same thing. Whereas like throughout the movie, we spent a lot of time with the sect. Uh, this guy, Kevin, uh, who's sort of his manager, <laughs> uh, is trying to get him to focus on, you know, what the top priority is, which is uh, the, the war that they're fighting against the British crown. Whereas Sean is just kind of like bored and listless unless the plan involves getting back at Jack Ryan and killing Jack Ryan. And and Kevin has been sort of allowing it because, you know, there's been, he's like, they're very close. They've known each other since they were kids. And he's like, this, you know, this is just like a reality I'm gonna have to deal with. Um, this, This is how this is how Sean is mourning. They raid the house. Um, Sam L. Jackson is in this movie and he helps protect, uh, all of the members of the, the sort of inner circle. Yeah. He has Uh, a good scene earlier too, where he's like, just tell me like, what were you feeling when you did this stupid thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good sequence because it it is like the movie in a nutshell where he's like, I felt a sense of, he's like, I'm angry. It was annoying me. Like he felt some sense of like injustice, uh, that he needed to like step in and like stop, um, and uh, that's what motivated him, not like a particular like political affiliation with either side. Yeah. Um, he attacks, uh, I was going to say, is, uh, the, the team attacks. Uh, the Through a little bit of trickery, they manage to escape um, out through the back and kill some of the members of the attack squad. And Sean Bean, Kevin, and the redheaded woman named Annette, uh, which is one of the ways that they were able to identify her at certain scenes, because she has, like, long, curly red hair, like, very traditionally Irish, even though she's British. And, uh, oh, that's another thing. Sean Bean is British, and he's doing a... I think he's, I think he's a Cossack. He's a, he's, <laughs> he's, a, he's a Cossack, yeah, of course. Um, he's, uh, his accent is not not great in this um he doesn't he just pouts a lot he doesn't have to talk much yeah he doesn't have to talk much it's a lot of like i gotta get ryan that, sorry i went a little ringo um <laughs> you, you just watch get back it's you're forgiven <laughs> these are old references now but they're really topical when we super topical this. when we're recording yeah. um i am up to date at this point they uh miss out on this opportunity to kill all of them and there's a switcheroo that happens where jack ryan he decides to drive the boat out into the water and make it very clear that that's what he's doing and have the three remaining ira members chase after him while he's hidden away all the sensitive uh all the sensitive targets to be uh, guarded by Samuel Jackson yeah. uh, back on the on the shoreline. Kicks then, off the... I, then, then, like, when they notice that he's taking the boats, they do this line that I think is a little out of place, but, like, does get a good laugh. Where they're like, they're taking me lucky charms. It's, yeah. Like, that's it, what we named the boat. Oh. Ah, man. It's, it, would, it would be just a disaster to take uh, somebody's boat, the lucky charms. Yeah. That's the name of the boat. It's not... They they make it clear that it's not a joke, just an accurate description. Kind of a wink to the audience who may be familiar with the serial. I would have it'd be kinda of cool to have a boat called Pot O' Gold and then behind you uh you're dragging a uh you know what chum is? For yeah, tracking I'm, charts. I'm, I'm very familiar with chum. Uh I would have like uh a uh a series of, of uh chum tubes in the back. That mm-hmm. all have different, uh, you know, like food coloring in it to form all the colors of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. So I would literally be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but the rainbow is made of um, 
various uh, fish fish bloods. Yeah, if your boat is small enough to be taken down by a shark, could make for some very ironic um, headlines. You know? Like, oh, absolutely! Like, shark found pot of gold at end of the rainbow. Three dead. <laughs> Uh, they will get my lucky charms in that instance. If it was the AP headline, it'd be like, in Biden's America. (laughs) Biden's America, man cannot drive miles-long trail of colored blood without being attacked by super sharks. Those are the real super predators. Yeah. We're not saying anything bad about Biden's America. We're just saying that it's true it happened here. (laughs) Yes. I've got my thoughts about the AP style guide. Do not get me started. Let's not get you started because I think we need to end this episode in a little bit. So yeah. Um. So the thank you for not taking the bait because I had nothing to say about the AP style guide. Uh. So Jack is 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 charging out and they realize the ruse is on because the 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 cover of the top of the boat comes off in the in the storm. The two people, Kevin and uh, Annette, basically tell Sean, like, turn around, turn around, and Sean has to make a choice between, you know, pursuing revenge or the political cause. And those three together clearly could go back and, like, probably take take exactly what they, they need to take. Um, they, need, they could take the, get revenge on Jack Ryan's family, sure, but they could take the Lord Holmes and maybe his wife, too, and have their targets. <clears throat> but... Instead, um, Kevin shoots Kevin. Okay, sorry, Sean shoots Kevin, and he shoots uh, Annette, yeah. uh, and uh, you know just keeps charging towards Jack. Well, that's kind of his whole thing, where he kind of passed over the scene. But there's that part where the like bookkeeper, who's part of their splinter group, that he gets killed too. It's like you're too nerdy to be a terrorist. Yeah, I don't totally understand that sequence because like. I think it's pretty simple, Peter. Nerds can't be terrorists. That's very true, actually. Every terrorist on the planet is super cool and yeah, be a cool guy. Can ride a motorcycle. Sometimes. If I learned anything from if I learned anything from uh, Carlos, the series on Carlos the Jackal, it's that it's like three really cool hot people and then a German nerd you can't get fucking rid of. Well, Sean Bean solves the puzzle by getting rid of him. <laughs> He's like, here, shoot this gun. Yeah, you suck, and then just shoots him. Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I feel like Kevin had some big plans. I feel like he, he had he had some shit going on. Annette, very pretty, very loyal. Like, I don't know what's I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, she no. probably would have been good for the cause. Yeah. <clears throat> but I don't. I think that the idea is that Kevin is viewing the future through the idea of like we're going to have martyrs to the cause. Sean Bean saw himself as the protector of his. Sean Miller saw himself as the protector of his little brother. He doesn't see a future without his brother. So what's this fucking sect? What is, what is this thing I've just you know been signed up for? Uh, I don't have a vision of the future anymore. So he goes after Jack Ryan, and they fight on the boat. And uh, in very nineties fashion, uh, Sean Bean gets impaled on a uh, anchor. It's a very nineties death. Like they're wrestling, and then you see the anchor, and then you're like, Sean Bean's gonna go on that anchor in about fifteen seconds. Yep, there we go. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of surprising that, like, both of the Harrison Ford movies we've covered are very boat-related and about boats blowing up. Uh, yeah, yeah. I imagine at the time he was just trying to, um, you know, keep his head above water. Yeah, I think he was trying to, you know, he was he was aiming for the sky. 
And if he missed, he landed on an exploding boat. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, he went uh, overboard, I think, with doing movies about boats. Peter, you know that was a pun, right? No, I think it's just an expression. Oh, okay. it means that there's a board there, and it's like a you know, it's it's like uh, people to do the high jump. Oh, I thought you were referencing the movie with uh, uh, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, which also takes place on a boat. You could I, you said he could have gotten Captain Rod too, but I overboard I think just works better from a flow perspective. Uh no, I think overboard yeah overboard also doesn't I don't think it has anything to do with the ship. I think is that there's a board that you jump over and it's it's indicating uh, how uh, Kurt Russell jumped over the concept of consent. Um, yeah, I've never seen it. I've never seen it either. Captain Ron's pretty good though. Captain Ron, good movie. He makes Martin Short very mad in that movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, Captain very, Ron, very mad. Martin Short does not like all the guff. We should do. He Captain also doesn't like Captain the idea Ron. that Captain Ron uh, could very easily replace him as the patriarch of his family. There were a lot of '90s movies. I just watched Jingle All the Way over the holidays, and there are a lot of '90s movies about what if someone better fucks my wife? <laughs> yes, exactly. And Phil <laughs> Hartman spends the whole movie, the whole movie trying to fuck his wife. It's not funny. There's nothing else funny in the movie. Sinbad isn't funny. Arnold's not funny. Wait, Sinbad the comic isn't funny. Uh, Sinbad. Do you know what his job best. title is? Uh, the comic. Ooh, this is inconvenient for him. Yikes! Is right. So one of my favorite things about this movie is uh, how hard they come after his fan. Like, I keep in mind, I don't realize that like. Because I'm watching this for the first time in the year of our Lord, 2021. I don't remember that the tagline to this movie is he's not doing it for love of country. He's doing it for the love of his wife and kid. Like, I'm sure if I'd seen the trailers or saw the poster, I would have a sense of how fucking hard this movie is going to come at his family. Because, you know, you're 40 minutes in, he gets knighted, he saves some things... Yeah, the Irish immediately let out these terrorists, like, on a whoopsie-daisies, and are like, sorry, it was a whoopsie-daisies. And everyone's like, they're not gonna come after you, like, that, you know, they have, like, they have IRA stuff to get done. Like, they're not gonna travel all the effort it would take to infiltrate the CIA, and fucking, they just ram that car into a medium in, like, this brutal, brutal scene, and, like, no one gets off scot-free, and, like, I don't love it because, I mean, I, I don't like the idea of, like, some some weird separatist group coming and attacking a family, but, like, I just want, like, you know, the thing about Hunt for Red October is, like, it's a PG-rated movie in a time where PG-13 existed. It's a lot of, like, talking and uh, convincing and, you know, minimal to no violence, and, like, yeah, it's a movie about a CIA analyst and stuff like that, and just, like, at at like the amount of weight that is thrown against his family very quickly is like it was it was truly like shocking and surprising to me yeah yeah this is the only one of the paul ryan um paul ryan god damn jack ryan jack this is the only one of the jack ryan movies that it got an r rating um because the next one clear and present danger is pg-13 and while I like that movie, it does lack a little bit of the bite that this has, uh, where certain sequences, like particularly the moment when um, 
Jack realizes that he killed like a younger kid, like he killed yeah. someone who's probably like twenty, and they pick his head off the pavement and blood spills out of his mouth to take to take his ski mask off. Um, that moment is not like, oh fuck, yeah, he he nailed that that Irish kid to the ground. Uh his yeah. his reaction is like horror, like, oh god, I shot a fucking kid. Like Yeah. I was just trying to like keep this this from getting worse and like I, I don't I don't like, know yeah, how I feel shot about this at moment. Me, yeah. And like those moments aren't really in clear present danger because Philip Noyce, I think, is very much interested in like the, the horrifics of, of combat. Um and the, 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 the impact of some of the violence in here is is very startling. And sometimes he puts like the exciting shit off screen so you can just like see a splash of horror. Like when the guards all get taken out, it happens silently. Um and you just see like heads with with massive wounds in them just all silently uh sitting out in the rain around the the compound yeah and like even when he's like well fuck i guess i do need to go back to the cia like regardless of the idea that i mean i mean the cia is a shitty organization so they probably would but like oh hell yeah you're back to track down the attempted murderers like of your wife and kid like most cop and, and be, like the second that they're you know oh they came after your family i'm sorry you're off the case they're like put him in charge of it yeah his but that's another reason in the movie it's kind of interesting like his boss is basically like the reason that you're here is the reason why we take agents off of cases like having a personal connection to a case blinds your judgment but not jack ryan if anything he wants to be extra sure that is the interesting thing, and that's like that's like you know, Jack Ryan is the exception to the rule, and James Earl Jones is like, yeah, just just trust him. Like he's going yeah. to let truth guide him, not not rage. Um, in this in this instance, um, which which I do think is is so like you know we joked about what's left wing and what's right wing. I forgot I wrote down a quote in my notes that uh, when they're like they ask him if he read the papers today when they're like threatening him, and he's like, nope, not even doonesbury and i wonder if that's when like tom Clancy was like if he was right ring it would be mallard fillmore why would he even know about doonesbury <laughs> um, but it, yeah it's it's true like he there's a part where like he's basically like i've done all the work i am a hundred percent sure that this is where they are well i mean that's kind of what he's saying and then he's like but no one can, he's kind of like but no one can be a hundred percent and james earl jones is like okay but like are you sure because if you're sure it's fine like are you like if you think this is the most sure you could possibly be we'll go in and yeah i do like in some ways like he is representing a very reactionary like military arm of the government that that's like you know not to go back to fucking nine eleven and and uh, and the war on terror, but like that was a thing of like let's just swat it shit. Like it doesn't matter how connected it is. Like is Afghanistan really connected? Well, they're harboring the group that says they did it. So yeah, we're gonna swat at that. Oh, Iraq, just another bad guy in the general area. Let's swat at that. And I, you know, I do at least uh, you know appreciate this concept of someone who's like. Hey, especially when I'm blinded by rage, especially when there is um personal stake in it for me, that I need to be that much more specific and explicit with who I am targeting because 
it would be very easy for people to call into question my motivation if I get this wrong. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's that's really true. And it's it's very revealing, I think. What's it called? Uh the the known knowns? The unknown knowns? The unknown known, yeah. I can never remember the title of the movie because this the speech explaining what that phrase is is <laughs> Yeah, because he's like he's like he does every combination. So it's like at some point he's like, look, we gotta we got two coin flips to make to decide what the movie's called. God, yeah, it's, like, it's one of the best documentaries of the past 20 years. Um, yeah. I'm not always blown away by uh, Aaron Morris' stuff, but that documentary is just insane. Kind, kind of a great follow-up to The Fog of War, and then at least, like, McNamara kind of shows, like, the progression of, like, evil Secretary of, you know, Defense or whatever, and, like, McNamara shows... Uh, some remorse and regret over decisions made in Vietnam and Rumsfeld does not at all. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, it's very fascinating because it makes you realize the Jack, the, the concept of Jack Ryan, which maybe is a fantasy. Maybe there's a lot of Jack Ryan's in these, these analyst rooms, but they get overpowered or, you know, maybe there's worse war crimes not happening because Jack Ryan's are in these analyst rooms. The, 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 uh, once you get to know a little bit more about Dick Cheney and you get to a little bit more about Donald Rumsfeld and you realize Dick Cheney was motivated by, uh, greed and greed blinding his philosophy to the concept yeah. of like, well, I am a part of the military industrial complex. I directly benefit from the military industrial complex. Capitalism has paid me to believe that the military is the solution to everything. And Donald Rumsfeld, who got politicized uh, as his, in his role as a defender of the nation, he got politicized in his brain to the point where he's like, "We need to do something. We need to. We need to. We need to lash yeah. out." It can be irrational. Like, there's that crazy fucking memo that Donald Rumsfeld put out where he's like, he, he's just naming countries that the U.S. doesn't have a great relationship with. And he's like, yeah, yeah we should do something about this, huh? <laughs> it's like, get me a report on, on all these different countries to, like, one of his people. He sounds like a nightmare to work for. Uh, but, like, those are people that specifically crushed. Wait, hold on. You're saying that Donald Rumsfeld would be a bad boss? I <laughs> did. I, I, yeah, I think for some reason a bloodthirsty narcissist. That. That's a big statement. No, but I, but I think but, that, but like, that I think is... those guys probably crushed analysts like Jack Ryan in their tenure. If if the Jack Ryan figures existed, the people that were on the truth, on the hunt for truth, and wouldn't act without without true discre- like true discretion. I imagine those people got stomped under the boot of figures like Rumsfeld and Cheney in their years because those people. We're slowing down a, a a bigger political and capitalist machine, whereas Jack Ryan's like, no, I'm not signing off on a launch until I'm confident in it, both like rationally and emotionally. And Donald Rumsfeld would be like, yeah, we need to we need to do something to remind people that the military still fucks. Yeah, and the lack of kind of any sort of like reconsideration on that concept. I mean, again, like I I love Fog of War, uh, which I'm assuming you've seen. Yeah. Yeah, Long fog, fog of war and unknown, uh, the unknown known is such great, like you know, uh, 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 bookends because it really shows like, he, like you know, it. There's a great Will Ferrell joke about um, uh, when he was playing uh, George W. Bush on Saturday Night Live. They actually think it's like a, you know, it's a throwaway joke in one of the many skits he was in about George W. Bush. But I actually think. It is like actually extraordinarily revealing about where the kind of uh, military focused p- 
politicians and government workers in our country went is that he has a there was a joke about like we've learned the lessons of vietnam don't don't go to vietnam and don't make them don't admit to making a mistake in vietnam (laughs) right like i'm parsing two different jokes but like those were the kind of the two things and like it's it's kind of crazy how as an as an organization we basically are like the biggest mistake we made is like having McNamara get choked up, realizing all the death that he caused while he has to look at himself in that Errol Morris device, <laughs> um, the the reflector or whatever it's called. And the way that like put under the same circumstances, so much more time removed, you know, Rumsfeld thing is like, yeah, sure. Maybe I made some bad mistakes, but that's part of the job. Like there's, there's no internal um, introspection. There's no recognition of like even like things that should be easy for anyone who's in a position of power leadership to go like oh yeah that particular like stage of the battle was a mistake and i got americans killed like he has to reference something that i think gets talked a lot with like forgiveness and trauma and how apologies work and we've seen that a lot like me too and all the other stuff too like he has never asked anyone for forgiveness and has immediately forgiven himself his crimes. And like that separation from like that era of like shitty defense secretaries and stuff like that, who looking back at least can see, you know, they they still defend themselves because no one wants to be like, Oh yeah, I'm a fucking monster. Holy shit. Um, but like, you know, faced with like reality and facts can't help but go, you don't think I have, I'm up all night with nightmares. And then you see like a Donald Rumsfeld who is completely nonplussed by anything that he could potentially have done incorrect. And you realize like the sociopathy that our country's trajectory has, has turned it into, even when like neither McNamara or Rumsfeld are good, like they're fucking both. If there was a, a literal hell, they should both go to it. And somehow, like our hellbound leaders have gotten uh, substantially, substantially worse. Yeah, and then when these people die, you have to like turn to like left Twitter to be able to be like, yeah, this this guy was a fucking animal like he's a fucking yeah. monster and he's, it's he's good. the reason he's the reason that our country is uh has the it's just dripping bathing in blood constantly yeah jack ryan being sort of this figure that is like humbled by his power is like maybe a little bit of naivete but i because i don't work in the cia i don't work in, in yeah his rooms. i can see where I, it's I know easy, that, like but it's enough to know that like the movie itself is pointing to the guy sipping coffee and being like like watching it like it's a football game um the, even the movie is recognizing that those guys are running other rooms and they're just coming in here for like <laughs> a professional capacity basically like i need to write a report on this thing so yeah. i need to be able to you know watch it for a few minutes and at least give a rundown on what the fuck's happening so that report can get filtered back through and then maybe over to the sas so it can get filed somewhere for somebody to break into the files in two years and be like Hey, did you know we killed like 30 people in Libya? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, and, I think and, and the... making it out to be like his hesitations about this to be like a moral cause of truth, I think as well as a movie about a CIA analyst who's like, you know, ultimately just trying to survive, but like a movie about a CIA analyst, like 
him making ethical considerations even when his family's life is on the line is like a pretty is like i don't know it's, it's it's what makes the movie fascinating for me it's a movie that i keep coming back to every like three or so years and it's not because of bravura action sequences yeah it's i mean they're noise it's because it's noise uh, it's yeah, because the, it's because Philip Noyce has a sense of I mean during those action sequences I will say really quickly we didn't talk okay. about it much but like you know exactly where every fucking character is you know the entire layout of the house you know where you know where Jack Ryan is during that sequence with the the the, the opening sequence uh, oh, yeah, the, the yeah. attempted kidnapping like you know where every single person is guns feel loud guns are explosions that are pointed at somebody and you feel that that sensation guns are scary I think I 100% agree and i think you can make the case that uh, exactly what we were alluding to like the the prop like the the cia equals good guys propaganda of this movie is actually more based not on the fact that there's probably not a jack ryan there's there probably is jack ryan's um that have worked for these organizations who are just analysts trying to do right for you know whatever purpose that you want to ascribe to them I think where the propaganda comes in is that, like, Jack, the Jack Ryans would be given deference to delay those things. Like, I, I think the real life version of this is A, everyone is happy when Jack Ryan, notable scold and, and defender of truth, leaves the organization. And when he's like, yeah, I'm not 100%. And, and the idea that he. That his like that he would be the arbiter of how much uh, intelligence is needed for an operation. I think that is probably uh, wildly incorrect. I think the real life version of that they go, "Yep, got him, go bomb him," and they go, "Well, well I'm not hundred percent sure." Yeah, who cares? Either way, <laughs> like yeah, and that, I mean that's kind of that's kind of like, like, "Are you sure?" And then if he said no or not sure enough that that would mean any deference, like from some of the 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 books and articles and stuff like that I've read about, like the especially the the 70s 80s and 90s era cia it was like yeah well if we're wrong we're wrong who like they tried to kill castro like 300 times they had facts wrong all the time and just killed other people like you know no one ever went Ooh, should we look again it's just like yeah who cares we'll try we'll try like there's no one ever no checked their math that's the thing is like there is literally no consequences for when they fuck it up. So that's why I think they've just grown it. Like, I don't think that they would have stopped that operation because he wasn't a hundred percent sure. And I think that's probably where some of the propaganda comes in is that this idea that the CIA is yes, Jack Ryan is an exception, but this, the CIA like wants more Jack Ryan's and supports his decision. And I don't think any of that is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like on the other side of the political debate, because I mean, I do think this movie is slightly conflicting for me as someone who, who enjoys it. The other side of the political debate is like, I think this movie has a, a um, somewhat of a centrist view towards the IRA. And uh, yeah, and, which is like. Uh, they're a noble cause, but uh, that noble message can be diluted by extremists. But the movie doesn't make a moral. The, the reason I, I like the movie still, after making kind of a centrist milk toast point like that, is that the movie isn't saying that with a. It, it, it's saying that from a pragmatic political point of view, not from a moral point of view. So when O'Neill, uh, Richard Harris's character, decides to give up the game, they make it very clear that he has like sympathies with Ryan and like 
yeah. in his sympathies with him. But the point is not like that this is like a, you know, this is this is a man selling out his countrymen. The point is that like, he's like, these guys got to go. Like these guys are actively, these guys are actively violent towards the movement and of, towards yeah. our enemies. They're going like, to, they're going to hurt your movement. They're going to, they're hurting my family. Like there's, they, this is a lose lose if they stay yeah. in play. Let's let's scrub them out, but in a way that's like not going to hurt me politically. And like that, that I think is like a it, it's talking about the pragmatics of 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 political machinations and like why <laughs> why uh, I think what's attracts people to spy novels because the you know, yeah. the Michael Smiley character in like the Lacar novels is always so like ambiguous. He's just like he's a man on a mission to find the truth and the and and, and to uh, you know defend defend the crown. And like, he's not coming from that from an ethno nationalist point of view. He's coming that from the point of view of like, well, uh, this is the job that I was hired for in my twenties, and this is the job that I'm going to continue to do forever, and uh, you know, uh, until they they retire me. And I have a very specific method in doing this, and you know, it's not guided by rage. Like, the pragmatics of it is what makes good spy novels. And I'm more interested in having more realistic spy novels on screen that are talking about like, even though some of the stuff they do in this in the satellite stuff is like sci-fi, like. Basically, what's hilarious is Harrison Ford does the same thing in this movie that he does in uh, Blade Runner, where he's like, enhance, enhance, except for an analyst has to be like, oh, shit, yeah, I'll run it through the computer and see what we can see. And then he gets like a crystal clear image of like a, a woman's, a woman's breasts. Uh, well, in a shirt, but, you know, a woman's breasts. I think he yeah. says, I think it says, there's like a one joke in the movie, basically. There's some jokes about, like, there's some kiddie stuff in the movie, because the movie is very clear he's a family man, but there's like one, like, adult joke in the movie, and that's, he sees, he sees a woman in a tank top in the desert, and he goes, tits. Yeah. <laughs> That is like Doonesbury reference. That also shows you, that also shows you, like, that anybody that's like, worked more than an eight hour day and it's just been like fucking slap happy and you like finally find the fucking thing that'll let you go to bed and you're just like tits <laughs> can i say like just a mild pleasure from this movie now in fairness i haven't seen a lot of the r-rated uh harrison ford movies like they definitely exist uh i think all the ones i mentioned like presume innocent and frantic and like you know later on like random hearts like i haven't seen them i you know i've seen uh i've seen like blade runner and i've seen witness but like you know those are those are more you know nudity based whatever like they're 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 not like they're not hard r's i don't think this isn't really a hard r either no this might be pg-13 with like one if you cut like one fuck i think this movie probably well I, i i will say that's what i mean like this is a simple pleasure peter but I did enjoy with full 90s, not like 2000s Harrison Ford energy, with full committed Harrison Ford energy saying, you leave my fucking family alone. Yes. That felt good. Yeah, he's really good. He deliver at, a good fuck. He's good at everything he wants to do in this movie. Like, he's really good at this, like, like almost like salt of the earth family guy. There's this cute little thing he does when uh, champagne gets delivered to their room. Also very funny that the movie is like, they have sex, and then like, she's just like, I'm pregnant. It's like, kind of naive, but that was clearly something just from the Tom Clancy books. Um, also, yeah, what a weird cliffhanger. Like, in, in the in the book, I did find out that like, it ends with the birth of his son. In this one, they're like, 
boy or girl, boy or girl. I think that's just like a cute little family moment. And like it to me, I read it. I don't think this is the intention, but I think the way that I read it is that it's like a little slice of life moment that like things are back to normal, that they're not worrying about IRA terrorists. They're worrying about like, they're like playing this cute little game about the baby's, uh, you know, sex assigned. It's, it's weird they don't reveal it, which... I imagine infuriated both groups, people that had read this book and people that had not. Like, oh, okay, so we don't know. Why Why won't you show it? And then people that, like, read the books were like, it's Jack Ryan Jr. Someone say it! It's the most important thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah, I think it just, like, kind of ends on a cute note. Yeah, it because, was like, I, I didn't care. Because, like, I mean, it also helps to not particularly care about gender and gender reveals you're like it ultimately doesn't matter the the reason the moment works for me is because it's like just a it ends on a on a moment of just like a family trying to get back to normal and playing little yeah. games with each other yeah and ultimately that's it, what this month is about is games it literally is about is not spiritually about games it is literally about games uh yeah I, one thing's interesting like i actually have i like this movie uh, a decent amount. Um, I don't have the love for it that I probably would have had if I saw it when I was 10 years old, Peter. Um, but Sean Bean's really good. Like, it, you know, there is a lot of pleasure from seeing, uh, A, uh, Harrison Ford being somewhat committed to the role. And uh, Sean Bean being a sexy bad guy again instead of, like, a sexy old dad. Either way, he dies, but it was still nice. <laughs> nice, nice to see him. Uh, I liked a lot of the the slowness of it. Like I liked that it wasn't what it wasn't what I expected at all. And I, maybe I should have expected more slowness because Hunt for Red October is a really it's a really talky movie, which is why it didn't interest me much when I was ten or eleven. But this one has Harrison Ford. Like the poster, of this is Harrison Ford pointing a gun at you, the onlooker of the poster. So I it was rated R, and I just kind of anticipated. I didn't know what to anticipate, and so the fact that there is so much of like trying to get some assuredness on satellite image to take these mild actions while the stakes are like pretty, pretty high for Harrison Ford. It was, it was surprising to me and I, I probably enjoyed it more than whatever version of it as a, like a, a pure nineties era action movie exists in my head. I will say as kind of my final thought here. Like I am more and more curious to watch clear and present danger because I did look it up as you were, when we were on our break, so, Clear and Present Danger was actually more a success than this movie. Like, this movie grossed about, or made about $170 million at the box office. Clear and Present Danger, which I thought was the also ran that ended the franchise, made 220 and ended up on a bunch of best of lists from, like, critics I am aware of. And was, like, the the reviews, even the historical, like, contemporary reviews have it, like, an 80% of, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes with things like, finally, they perfected the formula. So, I know I a lot of people a... liked it better than Hunt for Red October. It's just my opinion that Hunt for Red October is, like, the, the, the formula the perfected. Goat. Yeah. I, the... I mean, it's I, the it goat. Maybe... It's the goat. The goat. Oh. The only thing that's keeping me from it is that it's uh, 144 minutes. But I'm at least mildly interested. Like, the fact that uh, if I had had more time for this, I, I told you I was going to watch rewatch uh, Hunt for Red October, which I, I wanted to just because, you, know, uh, you know, you and I are, are weird, unique souls that think, like, Predator 2 is better than Predator. So sometimes I forget that John McTiernan was a fantastic action director. Or tense thriller director uh, in a lot of ways too. So uh, I I do I was curious to go back and watch Hunt for Red October, but now I am 
you know, this movie was like uh, enticing enough to a make me want to go back and watch the other two in this general era, and b make me never interested in reading a Tom Clancy. Those are my uh, two takeaways. Uh, yeah, I would not, I would not read a Tom Clancy novel. I would, but however, uh, as sort of a final thought. I don't even know if, like, we can. I don't think Tom Clancy is, like, worth saving anymore because the idea of, like, these, like, military political thrillers are so toxified. Yeah. Um, This would be made, like, by the God's Not Dead studio right now. Yeah, and this is another reason why I'm more comfortable with either, like, you know, readapting, like, Lacar novels that are about the Cold War where, like, are so ethically, morally ambiguous that, like... (laughs) There's like, well, you know who's like a couple of the very bad people in it, but like most of the characters are just like people doing a job um, in a very fucked up game of chess. Yeah. Uh, that's, I like that. And then on the flip side, I like Mission Impossible where it's like unambiguously bad people. And then the IMF is not like involved in like coups in South and Central America. No. The I- IMF is just like literally all they do is stop like eco-terror like eco-terrorists i guess yeah. um yeah i, I i'm fine and, with... bo- and bond movies still work because they all bond movies nowadays are just like you know you're terrible james yeah like, everyone just yells at him for being a for for him supporting a monstrous government and he tries to leave uh, mi6 every movie. yeah um but yeah I, I find this movie very charming but in a way that like i it speaks to a specific era um of yeah. 90s 90s thriller it speaks to part of my childhood it's it's a great harrison ford performance it speaks to a particular moment a political moment in the 90s um I think it's like important in that sense. It, it, it kind of it, it's kind of interesting to see movies wrangle with the fall of the Berlin Wall, um, yeah. where like what do we do now that we can't just do Russians all the time? And some of the best James Bond movies happen because they were like, all right, we can't just default on Russia anymore. And uh, this is this is a movie that I, I particularly like because of the way it handles violence. Um, there's that sequence where Kevin is there. There's IRA is trying to put a hit on Kevin to like basically wipe him off the map because Kevin is dangerous. And um, they're playing like a sad song. It kind of it's my band called uh, I think it's Kanad. Um, I probably fucking it's probably like Chinad or something. I'm probably fucking up the the Gaelic. The they're playing that over the background of the sequence, and it basically imagine like an a, a a shootout where you're not seeing a lot of the people get shot, and they're basically playing Enya. Like, yeah, that's that's how it feels. It's like a sad a sad moment for him. It's fully it's him fully breaking from the IRA, and like that's the movie in a nutshell for me is like, um. It's about the the political pragmatics of being a spy and being a terrorist way more than it's about like thrilling big explosion spectacle set pieces. And at this point in the 90s, they were still making kind of movies for adults. You didn't have to look to you didn't have to look to like certain streaming services you, to like watch a miniseries like you. You didn't have to look like maybe a BBC special uh, adaptation of, of something. Like, they were still making movies for, like, adults in the mid-90s. And this is, like, a, this is a movie that, like, I, I love because of its it's from that era. And it scratches a particular itch. So, thanks for letting me bring this one on the show, Aaron. Yeah, I'm, I mean, again, a movie that I've always meant to watch for, like, 20 years. It's always fun. Yeah, like, I this ended up being, I think, a fun conversation. Uh, yeah, next week we are... Are not going to end the month with our argument. We're going to end the month with uh, the game, the great David Fincher movie. 
yeah, I'm excited to get into it. So with that, we'll save the the Patriot games for you and your best uh, jingoistic friend. And next week, we'll talk about uh, whether you should be able to do uh, takesy backsies on on your characters being saved. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a flag-waving patriotic Nephew of my Uncle Sam A rough-riding, fighting Yankee man I love mom and apple pie And the freedoms that we all enjoy Across this beautiful land I worked hard and I fight hard For the old red, white and blue And I'll die a whole lot harder If it comes to where I have to, I'm a flag-waving patriotic Nephew of my Uncle Sam, a rough-riding, fighting Yankee man And when I see old glory waving, I think of all the brave men Who have fought and died for what is right and wrong Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help and so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches Peter and Aaron. <laughs> Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>